Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, 
yeah, I had that dream. You're like, oh, wait, that was a dream, but that was so good. So I dreamt that Trump had a massive heart attack oh, and, and was on life support, and they said he will not recover because he will, even if he makes it through, he will be um, comatose for the rest of his natural life. And around the country, people were hugging and crying, and there was a national outcry saying, pull the plug, pull the plug. Yeah. <laughs> so what it be. <laughs> so what it, and I, I woke up, and I was like, oh, no, it was a dream. That was such a good dream. <laughs> I was so uh, sad all I, day. You know, I feel you on that one. And it's not even that I, I don't even need him to die. I don't. I need him to go to Mar-a-Lago and stay there forever because he'll never be accepted in New York again. I mean, he broke the country. He really did. He broke it. He broke the yes. world. Yeah. Yes. He's, I, see, I, I want to see him go to jail. And, I, again, I don't wish for his death, but I feel like I'm hoping that that dream is a symbol of, um, of either – I won't even say the Republican Party. I'll say, like, this toxic white supremacy moneyed – you know, power mm-hmm. vacuum that that I, that is trying to is is desperately holding on to the whatever is trying to hold on to to power, and I, I'm hoping that this is a sign that it is that is on life support, and that you know that we are think, we're all I think in a collective place where we're like pull the plug, pull the yeah. plug on that that way yeah. of being. I agree, no, I, though, and I, I think, think you know I, considering. Considering the last time we talked and we were talking about the potential for, like, revolution and, you know, the potential for killing in the streets and all of that, um, you were pretty spot on in your predictions. I mean, yeah, you know, we've seen a massive amount of murder in the streets. Unfortunately, yeah. it's uh, one type of person against another type of person, which, you know, is reprehensible and disgusting. But you said that that would happen, and it happened. So I'm kind of like, hmm, wow, Courtney knew some shit before it ever went down. Because you did talk about this, like, the first time we had you on. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if you remember that. Yeah. It was pretty fascinating. I do. I also remember that I, I said, he'll be impeached by Sawed, and that was not correct there. It took a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it happened, and the fact that it, it did the fact that it happened is more the point. Um, so I'm I'm curious to know if you have any other predictions um, aside from your dream, which I, you know we're we're kind of looking to now. Like, hmm, Courtney knows some shit. So yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> well, let's see what you Courtney know, does. Um, I, if, if what I feel like is going to happen this fall is um, we're going to we're, we are seeing people outright um, reject the current establishment, and so I do think you're going to see more people turn up to vote him out, and you're going to see more people yeah. on the ballot that represent the much the broader diversity of our um, country. You're going to see more uh, men and women of color and, and you're going to see more non-binary people. You're going to see more, uh, more women running for um, these offices. Um, the challenge though, is that because the establishment knows that this is coming, they're already making yeah. it very difficult for people to vote. And that's going to be the bigger yeah. challenge than like, because you know, four years ago it was turn out and vote. Now it's, Make sure you can't vote. It's a different. It's a different animal to fight altogether. And 
one of the things, um, one of the good things that has happened is um, Florida, a lot of people aren't paying attention to how this important thing that just happened because up until just a couple of years ago, um, if you had a felony on your record in the state of Florida, you could not vote. Right. Um, and so you have people that had a felony drug conviction when they were 18 and get it. <laughs> and, you know, that was from so maybe like holding it. I'm it's just an example holding, you know, having some marijuana. Maybe you were selling marijuana, mm-hmm. um, you know, good 30 years ago and you did your time. Yeah. And, and, and again, I have my feelings about why that's, that's uh, a bullshit, um, <laughs> bullshit right. felony charge yeah. still. That's, that's what, that's what a lot of people have on their record. And, um, yeah. you know, since then, you've had a job, you went back to school. Um, I remember I, when I was in Florida working on this work, I was sitting next to this incredible woman who was in prison, I think, for two or three years when she was like 20, um, or even younger than that. She might have gone in when she was 18. And I don't know what she did, but um, that really wasn't important. What was important is that when she, um, one of the judges actually said to her, I will make sure you never get back into society that someone like you never comes out again. And uh, oh. she had some pretty horrific stories about what she experienced as a young woman in a prison full of men who are guards. Um, I'll just let you, uh, let you, you know, make your assumptions there. And then um, mm-hmm. when she got out, first thing she started doing is um, she got her degree and she has been working um, since then in building a community center um, to help people reintegrate after prison, and she uh, is a pastor, so she got her, you know, she got her credentials in her church. And I'm sitting next to this yeah. woman who was uh, so smart and so accomplished. And I said, and she can't, couldn't vote, and she couldn't run for office. And I looked at her and I said, well, Florida is really cheating themselves out of a really wonderful governor because that's the kind of person right. I think she's running a state is someone like you who knows the ins and outs of the system, has completely dedicated her life to helping her community, and she couldn't even vote. Now, since then, um, Florida has, um, because of a very large push, they were able to um, restore voting rights to people with felony convictions in their past. So that meant that 1.4 million people who could not vote in 2016 are, were mm-hmm. technically eligible to vote. But they basically established or tried to establish, they being the Republicans, tried to establish uh, a kind of poll tax, which essentially if you didn't pay your fines from court or all of your court fees, then you cannot get the right to vote, which for some people that's six digits of money that they're never going to be able to pay. And that was a way of trying to undercut that. Now, fortunately, that has then since been overturned. So those um, 1.4, 1.6 million people who couldn't um, vote in 2016 are now eligible to vote. But now the problem is they don't all know that because they were hearing this. Well, if you don't pay your fees, you can't vote. So, and people are busy. They have, they've, they're working. They're not necessarily always sitting there and thinking, well, I've got to, you know, make sure that I'm eligible to vote. Um, and they're like, well, they told me I wouldn't, so why should I even try? So there's also that, that right. challenge with it as well. But you know, that, that's a, that's a, and we, we know what a battleground state Florida has been in the last 20 so years in elections. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm sending this out there to anybody who, if, if that is your story and you're in Florida, you know, if you have had a felony conviction, you do have the right to vote now. So go ahead and get registered. But it's, the thing is that Republicans are going to play that, that bullshit all across the country. Now with COVID, they don't want mail-in ballots saying there's voter fraud. I, mean, I live in Oregon. It is the, we have the most logistical, yeah. easy way to vote in Oregon. So Oregonians, you do not have an excuse not to vote. I, get, I just like, I, 
become, you know, mean Auntie Coco when I'm at the coffee shop and all the young kids are like, I have time to vote. I'm like, you, it is the easiest to vote here anywhere. The ballots come to your house with a pamphlet and the pamphlet lists everything that's on the ballot in your area and the pros and cons on both sides. Like, and then you have uh, different lobbyist groups will say, we support this amendment or we support this candidate. Why? So you can see who is supporting who and what. And my husband, who grew up in Ohio and lived on the East Coast um, up until very recently, was like, every state needs one of these. So mail-in ballot ah. works, all right? It is convenient. Yeah. It, is, it is no more susceptible to fraud than any other kind of – and voter fraud is, is very, very uh, is very very rare, honestly. So right. um, wherever you are, you know, push for the mail-in ballots. It, it, is, it is the way to go. It is what we have to do in this era of COVID. Wow, I've been talking for a while. Are you glad I had it back? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, first of all, I've missed you, and we have missed you, and, yeah, we're glad you're back. Um, but the yeah. thing is, you know, Trump tried to abolish the fucking post office to stop mail-in yes. ballots. So obviously yes. there's something to it. If he's going as far as trying to shut down post offices, which I'm sorry, the most ridiculous idea, one of his more ridiculous ideas um, I never know what he's capable of doing. It's like a different freak show every day. Yeah, and it has been that way for four years now in order to keep us unbalanced and to keep us and to make us complacent. Like, I don't have time to follow this buffoon anymore. I don't think he's a buffoon. I don't think he's stupid at all. I think that he knows exactly what he's doing. I mean, that's what's even scarier is how calculated he is in playing the madman, you know, well, so, I don't, yeah. I've got to tell you, knowing knowing him as well as I do, and I grew up uh, one town over from him, no, he's mm-hmm. not smart. He is fed everything by um, Stephen Miller, his racist buddy, and Mitch McConnell, who promises to keep him in power. <laughs> Trump doesn't give a shit about anything or anybody except himself, and they feed into his ego. He's not, he's not a smart man court he's not um okay i'll give you a little original part of because part of me was like god if he's he's got to be doing all this on purpose but that's almost easier to take out (laughs) well here's 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 the thing mitch mcconnell has a wish list of evil that he has had since the beginning of his career and he plays to a very specific base and, you know, the person in charge is never really the power. Um, but yes. all of his racist tendencies are being nurtured by Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller is a known white supremacist who works in the White House. Look it up. You don't have to take my word for it. Yep. And Mitch McConnell yep. has a certain base that has kept him in power for several decades now. So it's not really Trump having all these great ideas. Every time Mitch McConnell uh, has a an evil idea, he floats it to Trump, and Trump is his little lightning rod, and Mitch figures out how much he can get away with, and um, that's it. And he acts shocked and surprised when Trump does something that people find horrible. But Mitch, don't be fooled by Mitch McConnell's look of shock. He's not oh, God, shocked. No. He's a He's a fucking gamesman, and he's using Trump as his little toy soldier to go and do his bidding. Trump doesn't have an original thought. He's just acting it's out kinda, the wish list of, of horrible people. That's all. I think it's, it's like um, 
back in the Game of Thrones era before the last season broke all of our hearts. The uh, You had Joffrey, who was uh, technically on the throne, but it was Tywin Lannister who was running the Seven Kingdoms. Correct. Correct. That's yeah. exactly how I and see Tywin, it. But... Yeah. And Tywin really had no interest in being king. He just wanted to be able to control things and that he knew that being the hand of the king was actually a greater seat of power. It's the same reason why uh, Tyrion wanted it too. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's amazing to me how many people think they want the top job when it's not really the top job that has the power. Yeah. So I kind of laugh at that, you know, and, and being one of two women in a, in a huge, you know, world of men where I work, it's like they think that you know, my boss is in charge. He's not in charge of a damn thing. Don't be fooled. Um, no. <laughs> that's, all, that's all me and one other person, and she's not even in the same office, so it's kind of hilarious. But anyway. So, um, so you're, the, you're the Tywin of your job. I am the Tywin of my job. My boss hates it. He loves me, but he hates the power that I have. Um, <laughs> and... He doesn't want to be the power anymore, and um, somebody else is trying to get the power. I have not asked for the power because I've seen the boss's job and I don't want it. Um, so it's gonna it's gonna be interesting over the next few months to see what happens by winter. I don't even know if anything's gonna change this year because of COVID. Um, all movement within the company is pretty much on hold. Uh, unless it's something to a much smaller degree than a major job title. But anyway, let's talk about the Morrigan. Mm. Everybody went yeah. quiet. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Power right. enters the room. You're like, oh, okay. Yes. Well, I mean, look, I I have always had some misconceptions about the Morgan, and I am looking to you to clear them up. And I know you're doing it in the book, but there's, I think there's a lot of people like me who do not really understand um, the Morgan, the representation. And, you know, I was always told that you had to wait for her to call you. And I never felt that call, but I don't know if it's because I'm just not listening or if it's because I'm not, she's not calling just everybody. She calls certain people. I mean, I just don't know. But having been read, you know, and I've not, and I apologize because I'm still fighting this double eye infection. But you know, I've been reading the book and I'm learning stuff. And you know, I, I think you're the one person who will give me the reality of the situation and tell tell us, you know, who this this goddess really is. So the Morgan's a very, um, she's very unusual and very complicated and uh, can be very confusing goddess. Uh, she is an Irish goddess whose origins um, are most often traced back to Iron Age Ireland, often thought of as, as the, more of the Celtic era. Um, but she mm-hmm. is, is, my book, my, the title of my book can be a little misleading because we say she's a Celtic goddess, but that's often, that, that comes down to a, what, uh, what publishers want to put out there in order to attract, um, you know, a certain interest. But when someone says Celtic, that's often referring to an era of, of Iron Age Europe and, and a, a span of people that comes almost from, almost as, as far as Poland and 
um, and even even some cases to Turkey, and then all the way to the west to Ireland. But there's a great Arab. It's a great. Uh, there's a great deal of diversity among um, the people of that Celtic era, including different languages and different religious practices. So I make that very clear because I want people to understand. You don't want to conflate the Morgan, who's an Irish goddess, with, say, um, a Celtic goddess who comes more from Central Europe, just because they're two different cultures and two different mm-hmm. uh, uh, beings, even if archaeologists have uh, linked all these people together from very, um, very, uh, um, a very small sampling of, of, of ways just through um, the burial rites and through the weaponry. But aside from that, the, the Celtic world was highly diverse. I just want to say that up front. Um, but the Morgan solely solely comes from Ireland and she is most frequently associated with war. Um, mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that she never actually uses weapons in any time she fights a battle. And if I, when I was reading this, I thought she, you know, she's less a warrior and she's more of a strategist. And so mm-hmm. I feel like if she were a modern day person, and I'm using United States because this is the culture that I have the most understanding of. Um, if she were mm-hmm. a, to show up here in the United States in, in 2020, um, I don't necessarily think that she would be fighting in the military. But what she might be doing is um, more organizing on a grassroots level to um, strategize against police brutality. But she wouldn't necessarily, mm-hmm. she might be on the front lines, but she would, I would also see her as the person with the megaphone or the bullhorn or letting people know where to go and what to do and what danger to watch out for, but also to um, to trick and lay traps for the um, for the opposing forces. Um, Morgan is yeah. So she's she's come. So she's you could say yeah yeah that's a, that's a warrior goddess. But when we think of her, we people often you know depict her as with an axe or a sword. And it's like yeah, but that wasn't the kind of fighting that she did. She was much more of a strategist and working with, with her people and with the gods. And she also, um, and she, she, and I'm, I'm saying she as though she's one goddess, but there's also many cases in which the Morgan is several goddesses or she is um, one of several goddesses that are associated as like the Morgan, as like Morgan sisters, or they would say in the midst of Morgan and her sisters. Um, a couple of the other right. goddesses. Right, and that's probably the part- about, yeah. I'm sorry. That's the and that that reading that in your book is the part that I went, oh, I didn't know this, and it kind of made me. That's the part that I related to, you know, that aspect that she's, you know, one of many or the one face of many or, you know, several faces of, and because um, you know, as another polytheist, that's kind of what I relate to, the many-sided gods, the many gods that are one, the you know, so on and so forth, which is something I had never been taught about the Morgon. And I've not had any formal training about the Morgon, you know, when because a lot of us are in so many different paths, you know, we don't pay attention to a lot of the other paths. So we hear certain things and they kind of stick in our brain as being reality, whether or not they are. So I, that's, yeah. you know, what I love while I'm reading your book, I'm like, yo, I didn't know that. And then there's this other thing about shape-shifting that I want you to talk about that I didn't know about. But please continue. Sorry. Yeah. And so sometimes people have asked me, is she one goddess? And I usually say yes. And they say, well, what is she several goddesses? I say also yes. And they're like, which one is she? And I'm like, well, 
she is sometimes one and she is sometimes many. And it's similar to, I, um, I actually have, I just started my own podcast about a year ago with my two oldest best friends. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> people sometimes, people sometimes confuse us for each other. And I say, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we are separate people, but we're also kind of the same person. So you're not wrong in either way. <laughs> Um, the other thing is, is when you're, is a other the other comparison I made in my book was that it's like being at uh, my grandmother's house with my mom and her sisters, and they're four different women, and they're very different from each other, but they also share some very strong similarities in having grown up from the same you know in the same household, and when you really get them going, and they're all you know their southern accents are out there on full display, and, and they're getting going on the whole story that they've told, and they're laughing you kind of feel like you're with one person who has an immense amount of power, even though there's actually four separate women there, you know? Right. So, right. um, yeah, so that's where I feel like I, I, um, I tell people that I'm a, people ask, are you a hard or a soft polytheist? And I feel like I'm kind of a semi hard and that I feel that the Morgan sisters are distinct from each other. But sometimes when I go to my altar to make a Morgan devotion, I feel like they're all there in one form. So it's, uh-huh. You know, it's it's a mystery. It's a mystery thing. And um, the Morgan and the different sisters of the Morgan um, are do have elements of shape shifting. Um, the Morgan herself, which is the one people are most familiar with, she uh, could mm-hmm. shift into. There's a myth in which she shifts into essentially who is a princess. You know, she says that she's a daughter of the, of a king, and then um, mm-hmm. she also could shift into a black bird, which is her most signature form, and that's the one in the which. The uh, the hero Kakalin, who they were always at odds. That's how he would recognize her. Is that when she would shift into a black bird, and he'd say, "Oh, I he was I knew it was you the whole time." Uh, <laughs> and, and other other myths, she shifts into a she wolf, and she shifts into a heifer, and you know she does these things. Um, a lot of her shape shifting, she she shifts because she is uh, trying to trip up someone. Um, or she is trying my, to trick my, someone, or she's trying to yeah, set up and confuse a situation, which is why a lot of times she's considered much maligned, right? She's tripped, uh, she shifts into a, a wolf, into a heifer in order to trip up Kukulin. But you got to remember, Kukulin has threatened her in other myths, and she may have very good reason. Like, I don't like what this guy is doing. This guy is full of machismo. Of, of, I don't want to say machismo. She's full of... Um, He's full of it's like toxic masculinity, and he's hurting people. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to trip him mm-hmm. up, there, you know. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things I found interesting that she, uh, she also shifts into is an eel, and I went, "What?" Yes, <laughs> that totally oh, cool. threw me. Yeah, and it's it's a it, it, it's, we really. Uh, one of the things about these myths is that they existed in oral tradition for thousands of years before they were ever written mm-hmm. down into text. And they were written down in text by uh, Irish monks in like the year 500 to 700. And by the time that they wrote these myths down, the pa- old pagan practices had largely been um, abandoned. And so these were stories that were still being told by, um, by families or by storytellers and they were finally recording them. And so I feel like what, what, there's a lot that a lot of context that we're missing uh, from the Iron Age. Mm-hmm. We don't know what these symbols meant. We don't know that the she-wolf was, was, was or was not a bad thing. We don't know um, how they viewed the eel. We do know that the eel was a very important food source 
uh, for the people for a yeah. very long time. They're, um, the, you know, the European um, or the, the eels in Ireland are critically endangered at this point, but we're talking for thousands of years. This was a very plentiful food source. At the same time, they're kind of creepy mm-hmm. looking, you know, uh, yeah. kind of serpentine. So it, it's possible that they may have been both loved and revered. They may have been loved but revered by the monks because of their snake-like appearance. And so that there might mm-hmm. have been a there might have been some tweaking of of the myth there in order to suit the new the new religion. Um, so we we just kind of have to scratch our heads and say we don't really know what it meant to the people then. We can just do our best to maybe personally take what it means for us personally now, while not trying to right. say that our personal um, interpretation for our personal lives is meant to to uh, say what this meant for the people back then, because it, we're just, you're talking about a very different uh, culture at time. Um, so for, True, for me, when I look thing, at that, I look at. What I was going to say was for the one thing I took away from that because they, they are considered a food source is that what is the best way to get someone's attention if you're going to shift into something, it's going to be food. So I thought that yeah. was kind of brilliant, you know, yeah, but it's funny because how, as an eel, this food source is literally tripping up the hero while he's in the fort. And, you know, going back, I'm assuming that everybody has read the myth, When you probably have many listeners who had not. So, um, yeah. so Cullen was, um, was, sent by, um, was sent by the men of his um, region to basically defend the region for them because he, they were all dealing with uh, pain of, 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 of giving birth. Um, and they were mm-hmm. dealt with. They dealt with that because several generations before, um, they had mistreated Maka, one of the Morgan sisters, while she was giving birth. And so she said, "All right, mm-hmm. for the next nine generations, whenever your your region is in trouble, you are going to um, suffer the pains that which I suffer today." So of course their mm-hmm. their region is under attack, and so they can't really defend themselves because they're just dealing with. Um, dealing with so much physical pain, but they have one guy who the reason he's not suffering is because he's half, um, he's half immortal. So he's able to defend it all. It's like a old timey superhero, right? One guy can save the world and he has got a you know, very odd patronage and he's semi divine. Uh, but he's also kind of a schmuck. Like when you read about Kakola and you're like, he's a dick. I you know, they talk about him being this great hero. I'm like, yeah, he's, he's a real masochist. Or, masochist. He's a real chauvinist, and he's rude to the Morgan a bunch of times, you know, in previous myths. Yeah. And at one point she um, approaches him, and she's like, hey, um, can I help? Can we, you know, can we join forces? I might be able to help you. And, and people talk about the fact that she was seducing him, but you're also looking at that saying, well, it's a way for, a, at that time, that may have been how a woman would gain power for herself was by you know, using, using her body as part of the contract. And he wasn't paying any attention to what she may have to offer, you know, militarily speaking or um, otherwise. And he just said, well, I'm not here for a woman's ass. I don't have time for romance. Basically like, you know, you're just, you're just Mm -hmm. into me for my bod and you don't really, and she's like, "Uh, okay, you totally misread that. And now I'm going to kick your ass. So (laughs) so she's, yeah. She told him, well, you know, you're at the thick of your fight in the fort. I'm going to trip. I'm going to be an eel and I'm going to trip you up and I'm going to be a wolf and I'm going to be a heifer and I'm going to do all these things to you. And you're going to get all your, you know, you're going to suffer for it. Um, and that's, you know, so she did one of her forms was the eel and she was basically wriggling around his feet. So he couldn't fight his opponent. 
right? And, uh, you know, so it, she suffered injuries as a result. Um, he busted her eye in. He busted her. He broke her leg. He did a few things while she was in these animal forms. Uh, but then she shapeshifted yeah. into an old woman, right? And when he um, and she offered him some milk from a three-teated cow, which is a sign of it being more of an otherworldly creature. And when he mm-hmm. took the milk, not recognizing it was her, he blessed her for it. And then she turned back into her to her healthy form. And he's like, "Damn it! If I know it was you. I wouldn't have done it." So. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's um, it's it's funny that the shape shifting has been something people have been so interested in, and for me, that's been that was one of the hardest chapters to write because there's just not a lot to go on, and we don't have the context. So I did the best I could mm-hmm. to say, hey, here is what we know based on the myth, and here's mm-hmm. what we might personally take. Here's some things that people today might personally take for themselves while understanding this probably wasn't what they meant, but we don't know what they meant. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but, that's, right. but that's been the one people have most asked me to, um, to work with them on is, is what is the shape shifter. Mm-hmm. I found it fascinating. That part of it. Cause so, it's not something yeah. I ever hear about. I, I never hear about the Morgan as a shape shifter, or at least I was not, I mean, I'm sure things have been mentioned, but, I mean, it's not something that ever stuck in my brain because I've never really heard anybody talk about it before, before your book. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and I, think it's, I think it's because it's, a, it's easy to talk about her role on the battlefield, right? Um, mm-hmm. you know, she and her sisters are, the, the Morgan sisters are bringing down fire from the sky and they're screaming in the hills and they're, they're keeping the, the enemy awake all night, you know, and she's, um, she's making plans with her. She's meeting up with her husband to make plans for how she's going to help him out and take down his enemy at the Ford. You know, so she does these very things that are very specific with regards to warfare. Um, you mm-hmm. know, there's, there's one, there's one story in which she um, has sex with her husband. And so a lot of times people have blown that into, well, she's a sex goddess. It's like, well, First of all, I don't even know what it, what it means. Like, what does a sex goddess mean, right? It's a, like yeah. She is a goddess who has sex, and people focus on that quite a bit. Like, oh, well, she's a goddess of fertility. And um, as Laura O'Brien, um, who's, a, who's a, a Morgan expert and, you know, has lived with a Native Irish person, she says, you know, they're, they're, she's, she has nothing to do with crops or really uh, land regeneration, which are some of the hallmarks of, a fertility goddess, and so it's, it's not really right to say, well, she has sex, therefore she's a fertility goddess. Like, but it's like it, it's is one of the the parallels that Laura says is um, she's you know it's like saying someone who has sex is automatically a sex worker, and it doesn't mean that there's anything that's right. wrong with being a sex worker, but it's not accurate to say that everybody who has had sex that makes them a sex worker. Well, no, it doesn't. A sex sex work is a specific kind of work, and uh, yeah. everybody yeah. who cooks is a chef, right? I cook a lot. And right. I, yeah. I'm not yeah. a chef. I also have a lot of sex, and I am not a sex worker. And it doesn't, you know, it's just kind of, it's just really not really accurate. Um, but I think, yeah. I think that's one of the things about the Morgan is that because she is so enigmatic, um, and at mm-hmm. least in in a lot of areas of Western culture, um, especially in the United States, we really need to be able to put things in boxes, right? We're all about yeah. marketing and packaging and what is this and who is it for and all of that. And, and this goddess comes from a part of the world in a region and time when 
the kind of boxes we understood understand now probably didn't exist. And whatever right. that they had, whatever sorts of, of labels and identities and, and roles they had for their gods and goddesses, we may not be able to relate to now. And I think that's one of the reasons why she's, um, she's challenging is that we don't have a lot of parallels in today's culture for what she likely meant for the people of Iron Age Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So that's a long way of saying, that's probably why the shapeshifter gets lost a lot, because we're kind of like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and it's like, that's okay. <laughs> um, you don't have to know. You don't have well, to know. You can. I think there's a mystery in there that's a real beauty of saying, I have no idea what this is about, and I love it anyway. Right. I mean, every 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 detail does not need explanation. Because if you explain exactly. it, if you, I mean, and yes, that is a huge problem in American culture where you've got to have the definitive answer to everything, and it really sometimes just takes the joy out of shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I... I do know a couple of devotees and or people who say they are devotees of the Morgan and there's a lot of mention of she called me. Can you talk about that some because I've not heard that call but I don't know if I've not been listening right or if she just isn't calling me. You know what I mean? Yeah, well I think that that's I think that's the truth with um a lot of, of deities. I, I hear about that from you know anyone from um, uh, Bridget to or to Hakate. People feel like that this goddess called them or chose them, and I I feel that perhaps those. And so I don't feel like it's unique to the Morgan to feel like a specific god or goddess is calling you. I think that we're at a time in history in which a lot of the gods and goddesses that have been uh, more or less silent for a long time, but perhaps have just been really coming back into our consciousness in the last century or so are, are Mm -hmm. reaching out to people because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And it's very important. And it's, it's, uh, we don't have a lot of time to fix the sinking ship that we're collectively on, on this planet. Um, so I, I would not go so far as to say that the Morrigan either calls you or doesn't any more than any God or goddess calls you or doesn't. I think that that's, Huh. An experience that um, that some people have, and I feel that perhaps the Morgan is because she is a a more extreme. The things that she represents tend to be more extreme than some of the other things that other gods and goddesses represent. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that can be might be a jarring experience for some. I don't know that I ever felt like the Morgan called me so much as we just kind of got to know each other. It's a little bit like when you're at the, she didn't like call me up and ask me to meet her for a drink. It was just, we happened to be out, you know, we happened to be out at the same pub enough times and eventually we end up sitting next to each other and strike up, struck up a conversation. To me, that's how I feel like she came into my life is that we knew of each other and we slowly got closer until eventually we were, you know, we were, I felt like we were collaborating on something. Um, But I, I think that, um, and, you know, it's kind of like when people fall in love, when they meet, you know, meet their person, you might be love at first sight, you might have been matched online, you might have disliked each other for a while and eventually warmed up to each other, or you were friends for a while, and then one day it, it turned into something more. It's not, um, but I also think that people that are either attracted to the Morgan or the people that the Morgan attracts um, tend to 
what do I what do I say? I don't want to. I, I think that they um, they tend to be people who have more extreme experiences in their life to begin with. And so the way that they okay. might come into contact with their God is, is also going to be a little more extreme than, say, someone who is um, attracted to, I don't know, I don't feel like any of the gods are all that mild. But, <laughs> yeah. but um, you know, I, 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 I'd say that for, um, a, you know, a god or goddess that is uh, a little bit more about um, things that have to do with, uh, I don't know, I'm actually going to take that back. I don't think any of the gods are in, are, are in extreme. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, yeah. I've always been kind of apprehensive to approach her because, like, like my sister, you know, I I've known devotees and I've seen some people get some pretty hard fucking smackdowns, you know, mm-hmm. um, because they approached her wrong. You know, I I know, you know, you you don't demand anything of her, you know. Um, because that that's most of the time I've seen the backlash hit these people. Um, mm-hmm. But it always kind of, I was apprehensive, but I appreciate you putting my mind at ease because, you know, I, I would like to look into her. She seems like a pretty cool guy. <laughs> well, somebody asked me once, like, are, are there people I think shouldn't approach the Vorgan? And I would never go so far as to say that that I have any sort of authority over who or who who not who should not approach any god or goddess um but i i do think that if people i what i think is if people approach the morgan um with great demands just as they i honestly wouldn't approach any of the gods with great demands if you haven't met them already and i've I've had some relationships with the gods where i'm like if this doesn't go through i swear to god we're gonna have problems but we've already got a relationship uh-huh. intact. It's like what I, like what I yell at my best friend, say, if you get ice cream on my on my coat, I swear to God, I will. You know, you're yeah. gonna need a new zip coat. But we also have that. <laughs> we've also got a history of 20 years of fake threats toward each other, but also making things very clear. So it's not like I walked up to someone I didn't know and said, Hey, if you do this, I'm gonna fuck you up. They're like, Excuse me, if you're gonna what? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's yeah. a, little, a little different. So I would walk up to any god that you don't know um, and make demands and. But I feel oh, yeah. like if people approach the Morgan with a lot of ego um, or they're yeah. approaching her because they want power for themselves before its own sake, not because they have a job to do and they need, they need help, you know, um, right. I think that yeah. you, she'll show you a pretty sharp lesson. But something else that, that I learned through working with, the, through working with the Morgan on, on just in, in this book is that, some people say if you invite the Morgan into your life, she brings suffering. And I don't know that I agree with that. I don't think that she herself is something that is um, dangerous, but I think she shows up for you when you're about to face a very painful time. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, one of her sisters is the Bive who would, her, her story is showing up and warning usually men who are in power that they are fucking up and if they don't change their ways, they and all their cavalry are going to die. And did oh, it listen? Wow. No. And what happens? They all die. Okay. So it's, it's, I think yeah. that it, it's not to say that she shows up when someone's screwing up, but I do think she shows up when it's like, you're about to go through a tough time and I could help you similar to how she did that with Coca-Cola. You're, you're facing something big. I could help you. He rejected yeah. her and then he had problems. And so I thought yeah. she showed up for me before I went through 
a couple of really extreme challenges myself. Um, you know, I, I wound up in a pretty dark place when I finally moved out to Oregon just because, you know, codependent high priestess, I was taking care of everybody else and conveniently mm-hmm. ignoring all my own stuff because it's more fun to fix others than fix yourself. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's true. Um, I remember that. Totally true. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, uh, a lot of my own um, issues with, with depression and, and old eating disorder were basically sitting here waiting for me. And um, had to, I felt like the Morgan was the one goddess that, uh, that I could really relate to because she, um, she, she was a goddess of scary, a goddess that has, I don't want to say goddess of scary things, but she's a goddess that walks through scary things. She can walk through a lot of worlds that are frightening to us. She can go in and out of the she mounds and, you know, work mm-hmm. and has relationship with the good folk. And that can be very scary. And um, mm-hmm. I, I, I then, toward the end of my writing the book, I found out that a very old friend of mine passed away very suddenly. And there was a lot of mixed emotions around that. But as, as any death, one, I was just really angry that he died because he died young and he left a lovely wife and two little babies behind. And so I was just mad that fate would take him when there are so many douchebags out there they should have taken instead. Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Mitch McConnell's out running. Yeah. Thanks. Mitch McConnell's out running around and my friend passed away. That's not fair. I'm like, um, and you know, he and I had had a really bad falling out at the end of high school and had just become (laughs) friends again, like just put everything to rest for real. And I was like, Oh yay. Next time y'all are in town, please come over and meet my husband and we'll all have a good dinner and stuff like that. And then he died. I'm like, God damn it. You know? And then shortly Well, it was, it was really sad. And then shortly thereafter, um, we lost a pregnancy and it was like, Oh, Oh, okay. Thanks a lot. And, you know, we had been on a fertility journey for about four years at that point. And so it was like, okay. Um, so uh, having all these mixed emotions of just anger, but there's also a weird joy that comes with grief because then you, you realize that not everybody got to meet the person that you are mourning and you did you they didn't even get to know this person but you had a time to know them or you know even experiencing pregnancy even if it didn't last long when we've been that's what we were trying to do for so long so it's like there's a joy and like at least I got to have those experiences even if they were taken away um and then also like again just the, the sadness and anger and having the combination of all those feelings that one place that I could, it was a con all it was so contradictory. One place I could take that was to the altar of a goddess of contradictions <laughs> and just true. be in that space and not feel like I had to solve it or it had to be fixed. You know, it was just more like, I'm not in a place where I'm ready for any of this to get fixed. I just want a place to set this down and, and, and sort it yeah. out. And that was where I felt yeah. like the Morgan could really be that. You know, because she's not someone who comes in and rescues, right? She's she has moments where she yet she heals, but she doesn't heal generally because she is a goddess of healing. She's usually because there's something in it for her that she's going to do something. Mm-hmm. So it's it wasn't like I went to her and and felt like she was going to fix everything and hold me up. And I also think that sometimes. We even if we don't practice Christianity or I never were influenced by never practiced it at all. I just think that this culture we're still sometimes influenced by um, this idea of, of gods being saviors, and yeah. the old gods 
weren't necessarily saviors. In fact, in many cases, they weren't. Now, I could say that there are times that I felt like the gods got me through a tough time. I could say, yeah, I would think I was, I, if I had not had that force in my life, I don't know that I would have made it. But I never go through and say that a god or goddess really saved me. I do say they shook me out of some bullshit. <laughs> yeah. and therefore got me on That's got me different. on a good path. I know Bridget did that for me many years ago. She's like, yeah, you're not going to date that married man anymore, okay? I'm like, no, but I want to. No, she's gone. Bye. And then, you know, my life improved after that. But I would not, like, say, oh, Bridget was my savior because I, I think that that puts a level of assumption of a God's intentions and that I don't yeah. think is our place to have it. You know, and I've, I've gotten nervous when I've heard of, of schools of thought. I'm here. Yeah, I know you all like controversy. Here we go. Schools of thought where people yeah. are saying things like, Cacullin saved me when I brought him into my life, and he was he saved me. And I said, hey, this evangelical Christianity masquerading as paganism, the son of a god saving someone. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, this is yeah, this in of course these are Americans that are saying that I don't hear that coming out of Ireland where they're like mm, not sure that's accurate with this guy but like no no Cacolin saved me I'm like okay I feel like this is Christianity with a new branding um, and, yeah and so it yeah so it's it, you know um, and I, I take that I want to make this very clear that that's different than say where someone says witchcraft saved my life. Because I have heard that, and I do believe that, because that is a practice somebody embodied, which got them through a time that might have, you know, led them into a darker path. Um, Or that there were things the goddess or goddess showed them that helped them get through a time that would have otherwise, um, you know, would have otherwise made it led down to a a path of destruction. But I still think that we have to be careful and avoid the idea of, of, building our gods into saviors. Um, and I also think that there, we could, we could unpack this for a while about like, you know, savior complexes and, and manifest destiny mm-hmm. and the idea of, 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 you know, of saviorism that this country has, you know, has, has had, which causes a lot of, you know, damage and destruction. But um, sure. I don't even know where our original question was. Something about the Morgan. <laughs> it's all right. See, here's, here's, here's the thing, and, and I just want to make this clear before we completely run out of time. Um, you know, don't listen, and, and this is just a general statement to the audience. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only person who uh, was presented the Morrigan by someone else um, as being, you know, oh, you know, you've got to wait for her and shrouded in mystery. And I think after like this conversation and you know reading this book i've totally learned that uh, don't be taken in or misled by folks who want an air of exclusivity as it were if you're interested in a god or a goddess or whatever don't take even the word of a half a dozen people who have had what seems like an experience together or similar because every relationship is unique and um, a lot of gods and goddesses get a bum rap or a rap that is like, oh, well, this isn't for you. This is for us. So don't buy into the bullshit is basically what I wanted to make sure I said before this ends. 
<laughs> yeah, and I think there's it's. Um, I would imagine that, like with any god or goddess, if you're curious about them, imagine that you're at the bar or the pub with them, and you buy somebody a drink that you'd like to get to know better, right? And you're not necessarily yeah. going to approach someone you've never met and ask them to help you move that weekend. Um, yes, yeah, right? there are always moments where, like, there is an emergency, right? Somebody's house is burned down, and people who don't know you are, are pitching in, or you don't know the person, you're all pitching in to help this person. Right. But uh, mm-hmm. it's the same. But ordinarily, you know, someone someone you're not going to approach a stranger uh, for help unless the circumstances are extremely dire. And then you don't necessarily know what kind of help you're going to get because you don't know this person. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And gods are you know, the gods. I think that's uh, another misconception is the idea of the gods are here to serve us. And that's just really not Ugh. true. They, they are. They do yeah. have their own agendas. And sometimes they involve us and sometimes they want to help. But very often the help is going to come with a price. The price is usually feasible sure. and usually something that is yeah. you're glad to pay in order for to have their help. Um, but imagine like, if you're curious about the Morgan, you know, set, we print a picture of her off the Internet or write her a poem and, you know, set out a cup of coffee or a shot of whiskey, whatever is appropriate for your lifestyle, and just say hello. Mm-hmm. Say, you know, I... I've heard about you. You sound awesome. Here's a drink. Nice to meet you. You know, and then I love do that, that again. Yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah. Again, that's, that's a great way to build a relationship. And I've heard people say she's not as present as some other gods or goddesses. Like, I mean, for me with Bridget, and I've heard this a lot with Bridget, you invite her in, she's going to clean, yeah. she's going to clean house, she's going to start yelling at you, telling you what to do. That's her. Whereas <laughs> the Morgan may not feel as present, and I've heard some people say she'll show up when she has use for you, and that's, that's, I think that's probably, there's still quite a bit of uh, accuracy and truth there. Um, but there's nothing wrong with offering her a drink and just saying, it's really nice to meet you, and then seeing what happens. She might say, thank you, and then you don't, nothing, she don't, you don't have any Morgan energy in your, year, in your life for a year. Fine, right? Or, you know, um, but I, I think, if so, I, I think when people uh, approach with um, kind intent and humility and just with, with an open heart, you're not going to find, well, that was the wrong way. I didn't want Bushmills. I wanted Jameson. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's not, I don't really feel like that's fair, right? Um, but just opening right. up and saying, nice to meet you. I'd like to get to know you better. That's, that's, that's just showing, you know, showing interest and um Reverence and those kinds of things keep the gods strong, honestly. So they do, they are open to it. Um, I think, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I would recommend. And, and I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of protective, protective energy over the Morgan, which is founded because she has been mis- mm-hmm. so often misrepresented about being a sex goddess and being a death goddess. Well, she's a goddess who has sex. She is a goddess who works with death. Um, she is a goddess who mm-hmm. can be scary. This does not make her a quote unquote dark goddess, a, an evil force, a death, you know, a death bringer. She doesn't bring death. She's not the Grim Reaper, right? But she has right. a relationship with death. No, and so I think, mm-hmm. and, and um, it makes sense to me why people do get protective over her for those reasons. But that doesn't mean that you can't get to know her on your own terms. But do look at the source material. Look at the lore. I tried to present it as um, as true to the original source as I could, but using contemporary language so it's accessible. Um, also, highly yeah. recommend book uh, work by Morgan Daimler because um, she has done some really incredible. Uh, excuse me, they have done some really incredible 
translation mm-hmm. from some of the old Irish and picking up things that um, more commonly used translations didn't get. And um, the Irish Pagan School is a, a very important resource, um, native teachers talking about their um, ancestral gods. So it's, and when you can, definitely also learn from the, um, the, uh, the native sources as well. I know I, I go to the Irish Pagan School a lot for my own understanding and research. So there's a lot of stuff out there, um, but I would say definitely um, approach with an open heart, but get the it, it go back to the source as much as possible so you can have the best understanding of where she came from and the people who first worshipped her, which is really, really important. I really appreciate that, and I really appreciate this book, and I really appreciate you clearing up a lot of the misconceptions that I personally had about this goddess. Um, I'm so glad you came back on, and this hour is like, yeah. it's it's almost gone already. Um, so <laughs> I can't thank you enough. This book is fantastic. It's The Morgan, and it is by... Courtney Weber, who we love, and uh, we're going to rebook you in a few minutes. I hope you will come back on. Before yes. you go, um, is there anything else uh, coming up that we need to know about? Are you already knee-deep in another book? What's happening? Well, I do have um, – I have just finished my book on Hakate, so continuing with the goddesses that can often be misrepresented. And so that should be out sometime in 2021. Um, I am teaching, I'm teaching at Witches Fest this summer, which is all online, and I'm also a, yeah. a keynote with a Sisterhood of Avalon conference. Again, it's something online, and that's only for people who identify as women. Um, Witches Fest mm-hmm. is open to all genders, and um, I um, have a podcast as well called That Witch Life. Um, when people complain that we are too political, I'm just going to say, oh, you know, you should go listen to Desperate House Witches if you have a problem with liberal politics. I'm sure you'll fit in there. Thanks so much. <laughs> I really appreciate that. <laughs> I just want to hear you want somebody, somebody to hate, come this way. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I'm like, yeah, I just think that one. That's, that's the way to go. <laughs> you guys do the same wow. for us. Do the same for us. Like if people oh. are like, you guys are too leftist. Oh, well, you might like that Witch Life podcast. That'll be, that'll be an easier one for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Courtney, if you have any links you want me to share, we will do it. Send them to me, and uh, I will get back with you in the next 10 minutes. And we really appreciate you coming on. Courtney Weber, thank you so much. Thanks a lot, everybody. Have a good weekend. Bye. You too. Bye. Thank you. All right. All right, everybody. Uh, We will be back next Saturday with Joe Graham. And we're going to have a great hour with her. It's next Saturday, the 4th of July. So have a great weekend, everyone, and we will talk to you later. Awesome. Bye, guys.